Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. everyone to a fresh episode of GTF Gabriel Talks Football. My name is Aldo Gandia and before I bring in the star of the show I want to address something a, a recent viewer said about this show. Uh, we are now a little past the one minute mark and he complained about all the music and all the video. You know start the show get talking already. So just want to explain to him and to everyone else what we do here is have that 60-second open so that way people can co can congregate. They get their notice that we're live on their devices, and people can start congregating. I see people like Creighton uh, has joined us, Jeremy has joined us, Bradley, Jay Sanders, and more and more people are, are joining us. We've got 32 people with us live, and by the middle of this broadcast, or about 10, 15 minutes in, there will be well over 100, maybe over 200, who knows how many. And so that's why we put that uh, open up at the top of the show to allow people some time to come in and join us and grab a stool and have a drink and listen to the great Craig Gabriel. And if you don't want to, if you're watching on demand, if you don't want to watch all that stuff, you just take your cursor and you move it forward 60 seconds. And there you go. Voila, it's the start of the show. <laughs> Uh, Greg Gabriel, uh, I don't know, man. People are so, so difficult to uh, 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 please nowadays. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what. Let's, let's you and I just shut up and play music for the next hour. <laughs> what a great idea. <laughs> so, anyways, that's why we do that. It just allows people to get uh, ready for some great football talk. And, Greg, before we start our great football talk, I hope he doesn't complain about this, but I want to know about your 4th of July, and I'm sure our fans too. How was it? Uh, you know, typical 4th of July. Basically the same group we always are. Some family that's here in town and some friends. Um, for some reason, we always end up having it over here and I got to do a lot of work. So, <laughs> well, with that mansion, you got. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's a holiday for me, but <laughs> you got enough space in there to to host the entire Chicago Bears team. <laughs> no, I don't know about that, but uh, you got a lot of space there. But uh, it's good to see the grandchildren, huh? Or some of the grandchildren? Yeah, some of some were here. Now, my kids are all in Buffalo, so and they come about every other year. So they weren't here this year. They might mm -hmm. be coming later in the summer, we'll, we'll or I'm going to have to go up there. Because I'll tell you what, I haven't been to Buffalo since COVID, and I might have said that before. And, you know, that, that's just odd, because I was going back three and four times a year. Mm -hmm. And now I have, it's been three and a half years since I've been there. Oh. Jeremy says, everyone has a complaint. I just appreciate you old buzzards talking football in July on a Wednesday. Thanks, Jeremy. Hey, Us yeah, old buzzards. What the hell else is there to do, right? <laughs> exactly. And Jeff adds, first time seeing the show live and watching for a while. By far the best Bears podcast right now. Refreshing to get to hear from someone who really knows football. And they're not talking about me. 
<laughs> Jeff is talking about you. <laughs> hey, so you what, know what I you know what I want to touch on before and before you know because I'm getting so old it may go out of my brain before we hit it. You bet. Did, did you read uh, Courtney Cronin's article yesterday about polls? You know, she she did a lot of background on polls and when he came up through the league, it was really an interesting article. But it just it brought up, you know, a lot of things that that were going on with me when I started. I started a long time ago. I mean, well over 40 years ago now. And it's the one thing that he kind of alluded to and I knew is that if you don't have a passion for doing this, you can't do it. And it just reminded me. Like when I was interviewing guys, when I interviewed Ballard, when I interviewed Teddy Monigo, when I interviewed Rex Hogan, what I would do, and I took a little different approach, is I'd try to talk them out of the job. Hmm. You know, because it was, because I wanted to see how badly they wanted it, Mm -hmm. number one, but I wanted to tell them how difficult it is. You know, everybody thinks it's fun. Well, and, and the game, and it's changed for scouts. When I first started with the Giants, I was there was five years in a row when I was on the road for better than 200 nights. Whoa. You know, so at one year it was like 213. And the only reason I remember this is you had to do it on your income tax because you got, you know, there's some credits you got. So for, for every day you were on the road. So, but it, it, it that's what I tried to present the guys when I interviewed them is that, you know, you're going to be away from your family. You're not going to see your kids at little league games. You're not going to see them, you know, playing basketball uh, or, or your daughter have a dance recital because you're going to be gone. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I missed the birth of both my daughters. Yeah. Not yeah. because I wanted to, mm-hmm. I, I tried to get home. Mm-hmm. They, they were, you know, born too quick. I'd like to hop a plane and, Try to get my ass home, and I just didn't make it in time. Yeah. So. Well, I know one of your pupils who works here at the barroom, Danny Shimon. Uh, he took your class, uh, and uh, he's always had a passion for scouting and wanted to become a professional scout. But he knew that you know there was going to be so many sacrifices and having a young family. It was just too difficult, and and uh, you know financially, you're not going to make a lot of money, especially those first years, right? No, no. Oh God, you know the the first couple years. I mean, for when it was for me in, in the early 1980s, yeah, I guess it was a lot of money compared to what I was making. Um, but, hell, Social Security gives me more money than I was making my first <laughs> How about that? <laughs> you know, so, uh, it, it's, but, it, you know, it's a very rewarding job. Mm-hmm. And, and Ryan said it in this article, it's about, you know, he saw because he started off in the recruiting area for Boston College, and then it gets into like a team building thing, mm-hmm. and that's what it's all about. And a lot of times, fans don't understand that. You know, they think, "Oh, you're passing over this guy for this guy," but it's about getting the right people inside the building. Yeah, and it might not necessarily be the the player that you want. Mm-hmm. But we know it's the right guy for what we want. Yeah. 
Well, we're going to talk about defensive linemen today, and I recall Ryan Poles talking about one of the defensive linemen, the late-round draft pick, Travis Bell, and, and Ryan's quote was, this is one of my favorite people. Uh, he just yep. loved him and wants him in the building, and it's not because he's got exceptional uh, skills, but uh, he plays hard, he's got a great attitude, and, and the type of person scouts really, really love. Greg, when I had the privilege, of did a little videotaping with you. One of the things that you did was you held up that helmet that I believe is behind your right shoulder and which has been autographed by uh, a lot of the players you selected in one this of your one, drafts. Yes. This one was the 2003 draft. Okay. 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 So, and that was the whole draft class. Uh-huh. And uh, this one is... My first draft class here. This is the 2002 draft, but oh. it doesn't have, it doesn't have the 2002 insignia on it. Gotcha. But Tony T Med Tony Madlin, the the equipment manager, he gave me the helmets and, and you know the when we had rookie mini camp and then I'd have the players come up to my office and sign it for me. Yeah, and so the reason I want you to hold that up is because you said how, how the job is rewarding. And I remember that day when I was taping you, you first showed me that helmet. You were looking down at those names with such pride and such gratitude. Uh, and it's, you know, there's a lot of different jobs in the world, you know, but very few of them offer that kind of gratification, that kind of feeling that you, you displayed there. So uh, congratulations to you and all the great work you've done over the years. Well, you know what it is? all those i'm lucky because i'm i was able to do exactly what i wanted to do mm -hmm. and until i got the opportunity you know i played minor league football until i was 30 years old 31 years old but i also worked during that and one of the jobs i had was i was a stockbroker with the old uh beach halsey stewart shields and a lot of these older firms don't exist anymore they got bought out by other firms uh, but i just I didn't like it. I'm in there and I'm like reading the sports pages and reading what's going on in football. You know, I mean, my mind was somewhere else. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I wasn't making any, I made a little money, but mm -hmm. you know what I, I hated prospecting, couldn't stand prospecting. And if you're going to be in a business like that, then you better like, you know, prospecting, making cold calls, so what it is, is I don't like being told no. Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. that still goes on even today, too, is, you know, somebody says no to me. I just don't like it. So um, I, I got out of that and was fortunate enough to, to start with the bills and, uh, you know, on a part time basis. But I was like a part a full time part time. I was getting paid by the hour, but and not very much and working <laughs> my my rear end off. But at the same time. I did a good job for them and that they got me a job with national scouting, which in turn got me a job with uh, um, the New York Giants. Well, well, I'll make sure to read that Courtney Cronin article. Jeff Willis says that article was fantastic. Uh, and maybe I'll give uh, Courtney a call and see if she wants to join us next week to talk a little bit about that. Swifty says that he loved that 2003 draft class. Tillman, Briggs, Ian Scott, Justin Gage, Bobby Wade, Rex Grossman, and Michael Haynes. And he goes on to say he's always wondered if Jerry Angelo thought about taking Terrell Suggs before they traded down and got Haynes and Grossman. You know, we brought Suggs in. Mm -hmm. 
and we had we had he was one of the 30 visits um we weren't going to trade up in fact we had traded down earlier in the, the day before the draft okay okay we had the fourth pick i think it was uh-huh and uh terry bradway was the gm and of the jets and and terry called and terry and i worked in new york so we were you know, really good friends. And Terry called me and then we went to Jerry's office and had a, you know, conversation, Jerry, Terry and I, and, and uh, Terry wanted that fourth pick. And, you know, the guy turned, I can't even remember the guy's name. I think his last name was Robertson or something. He was a big defensive tackle from Kentucky, ended up being a bust. Hmm. But he, he had two ones and he gave us those two ones to get to four. And then now our first number one busted Michael Haynes. And that was, you know, that was on us. He didn't have a good football character mm-hmm. and a great guy. And, you know, he was MVP of the senior bowl that year, uh, defensive MVP of the senior bowl. Mm-hmm. And you thought, well, this guy's going to be a pretty good player, but you know what? He wanted the paycheck and that was it. Mm-hmm. And, and the funny thing is, is that his agent's a good friend of mine. I'm not going to, uh, Mentioned it, but his agent will say the same thing. Mm-hmm. He didn't, you know, he didn't know it. He just didn't love football. Yeah. And uh, then we got Rex with, with with the other pick, and Rex was the fourth quarterback taken. So if people want to bitch about it. Let him go ahead, because the three taken before him never made it to a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. That's right. And uh, I am of the opinion that if Rex doesn't get hurt in that rookie season, he, the, that wasn't rookie was- season. That was. He got hurt a little later on. Okay. And, and but, he just missed that, a lot that, of time. Yeah. Oh, well, that, first of all, the, the injury was horrific. A lot of people right. forget this. So I'm right. glad you brought it up. Do you remember, and this is what I equate it to only because of what the x-rays looked like. Mm-hmm. Remember the, the, the great thoroughbred racehorse, Barbaro? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And Barbaro on the back stretch of one race stumbled, shattered his, his ankle, and they thought they were going to have to put him down right on the track. They didn't. They had, you know, they performed surgery and they showed an x-ray. He had like 13 or 14 pins going through his, his ankle. Well, that's what Rex Grossman's ankle looked like oh, after man. he shattered his ankle. He had a gazillion pins in there. And part of Rex's game, because he wasn't the biggest guy, mm-hmm. was his lateral mobility. And being able to to slide to find the open seam to get the ball out, and and he had a very quick release and a strong arm. Well, once he did that, his game that that was fifty percent of his game at least. Mm-hmm. And when he couldn't do that anymore, it was shot. I think he lost confidence too. Yeah, yeah. And what uh, Swifty says, he remembers that injury vividly. It happened in Minnesota in the second season. Um, what about wait, wait, as Rex- long as Swifty's on? Because I don't know if he was on. Um, you know, he had brought up uh Lamar Houston a few yeah. weeks ago. And, yeah, and, and you know, I, I mentioned it the week after I went back and looked at the tape. He's a good player. And and I'd I'd rather have Ngakwe first, only because of the age. But you know, you're not getting a bad guy if you sign him on a one year, even though he's gonna be 34. Mm-hmm. But last year playing in Baltimore, he played damn good football. Yeah. 
Uh, you said Lamar Houston, wasn't it? It's Justin Houston. Or Justin right? Houston, excuse yeah. me. Okay. Um, I was going to ask about Rex. You know, there were all these stories, sexy Rexy and so forth. Was he, you know, totally committed to the game or was he distracted by all the adulation he got from women? I don't think so because he had a, he had a girlfriend. As far as I remember and stuff. Who was it? I can't think of her name now. She was the sideline. She's a sideline reporter for Fox now. The, mm-hmm. the lead, and, and she was with ESPN on the Thursday night games. Um, oh, gosh. Um, I mean, she's like the female sideline reporter. Aaron Andrews? Yes, or... Aaron okay. Andrews. So I'm down at North Car- a Thursday night game at North Carolina State. Mm-hmm. And the scouts and the ESPN crew, there's a Marriott that's probably a mile from the stadium mile and a half from the stadium. So we're all there. We're after the game. We're in the bar. So I go up and, and you know, Chris Fowler was there, Aaron Andrews. Um, there's a court. Now, I, I, I can't think of names right now, but that that time he was the color commentator and we had drafted him in New York. He was the guy that was the um, the bachelor, the first bachelor quarterback. Oh, Jesse Palmer. I Jesse Palmer. So we're talking, and I knew Jesse because we drafted, actually my last year in New York, we drafted Jesse. And so Aaron goes like, sexy Rexy, because she went to Florida too. And she was <laughs> she was there when he was there. And it was just, you know, it was just a, a fun conversation. Uh, you don't think that she... Uh... She gave him that nickname, didn't she? Or she? I mean, she I was. Know, I don't know. Him. I mean, she just she knew him, and and uh, she was like a cheerleader or something at, at the University of Florida when he was playing there. Yeah, she's a great reporter, and yes, uh, Jeremy, not bad at all on the eyes. Uh, Swifty says thanks for the tidbit, not about uh, Aaron Andrews, but about uh, Houston. And so let's get on with our main topic of the show. We're going to talk about the Bears defensive lineman and whenever we talk about evaluating players and so forth I, I like to start because you do such a great job of, of this and and you kind of instill this in me got to look at the scheme what are the scheme fits so let's start in the middle what is it that the bears require from their defensive tackles and then what do they require from those defensive ends greg well number one i think they've, they've changed it a little bit in fact what when i had my first conversation with, with Ryan Poles, other than the conversation I had with him, you know, when he was a rookie free agent and I didn't know who the hell he was and he didn't, you know, he's just a, a free agent at camp. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're, we're talking out at the East West and started to talk about the scheme. And, and I said, well, is your profile for the defensive line similar to what we had? He goes, it's almost identical. So this is in January. But now you look at it and you look at what they signed, mm-hmm. both in free agency and how they drafted it. And they, they've changed the profile a little bit. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, we didn't want – our lines were small. Our biggest guy during all of Lovey's years was Alfonso Boone, who we had early. But Alfonso Boone was a, a freak athlete, but he was between 315 and 320. Tommy Harris was 290 when he got drafted, never played more than 295, used closer to 290 most of his career. 
Spice Adams, 295 to 300. Of course, he was a short, a shorter guy. But all those guys, um, Dusty Dvorak was probably 300 to 302, something like that. If you saw Dusty now, he's about 225. Um, it, it's, it relied on quickness because mm-hmm. you had to get penetration. You had to be disruptive. You didn't want the big two-gappers. And so, some people say, oh, we got to have a big guy playing on the inside. Well, it depends what kind of scheme you're playing. And if you're playing an attack scheme, trying to get penetration, Ted Washington and Keith Trailer aren't going to get it done for you because they're big two gappers, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So, and that's what we had before. We had to get rid of those guys when Lovey came in. We just didn't bring them back the next year. Mm-hmm. In fact, we had three out of the four defensive linemen we had in the 2003 season. We got rid of that spring. Philip Daniels went to Washington. I don't know where, um, Washington went and Keith Trailer went somewhere else. But I mean, Keith Trailer and, and Ted Washington were well north of 350. And Philip Daniels was about 320 playing the left end. The only guy we kept was Alex Brown, which was a fit. And he was, you know, drafted the year before. So it was, um, we had to go out and get people that could play the scheme. And that draft, we took Tommy Harrison the first round and Tank Johnson in the second round. We really took two, three techniques, mm-hmm. you know, right off the top because you, you had to have them. But to get back to, you know, your question, right now it, it's they still want athleticism and they still want penetrators. But the inside guys with flus, at least based off the signings, Mm-hmm. And what they drafted are a little bit bigger. Like Tommy Harris ran a four six eight. I mean, he could freaking fly. And Tank was four seven one, four seven two, something like that. And you know, so here and ne- nobody on this defensive line, on the interior guys, can run like that. Um, but you know, guy Zach Pickens is is a sub four nine. Um, Dexter, Gavon Dexter is also a sub four, and he's a four eight nine, four eight eight. So I'm like, which, which is fast enough? And really, when you get talking about tackles, ten yards more important than than forty. Mm-hmm. And they're quick and they're explosive in those first ten yards. So, uh, but I think they're you know not think they are bigger. Uh, whether they're stronger, that remains to be seen. Uh, but they're probably a little bit more explosive. And, and uh, I think that's what they want because, you know, it, to stop the run. And mm-hmm. last year you saw part of the key that, you know, the run, the run defense sucked last year, the whole defense. And, and, you know, they brought in Jones who played with the chargers and people could say he's disappointment, but he had nobody around him either. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the defensive line as a whole was just played terrible. And, you know, and I lost my train of thought there, but, you know, he was like the only guy that could play within the scheme. The, the other people weren't even fits. You mm-hmm. notice they're not around anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, so now you've got four guys playing on the inside. Jones is back. 
You brought in Andrew Billings, who I think is going to be a difference maker. You know, never, nobody ever hears of the guy, but he's like Spice Adams, but a, but bigger. Mm-hmm. Probably a, a, an inch taller, 15, 20 pounds heavier, strong as an ox. We talked about him on his um, on a show, God, a couple months ago, maybe. Right. And this guy was the NCAA powerlifting champion mm-hmm. in college. This guy could, you know, his when you put his his three lifts together, the the bench, the squat, and the uh, power clean, it was like twelve hundred pounds or something. You know, just incredible strength. And on top of that, he's pretty damn quick. Yes. So, you know, he's never going to be a pass rusher. He can sink the pocket. So you're not going to see him a lot in passing downs, mm-hmm. but I think he's going to be very, very disruptive in the run game. And it doesn't matter who starts. Like I saw um, somebody today from the uh, Bears blog wrote that, you know, they thought that, that uh, Gervon Dexter was going to be a starter and he may not be a starter to, to start the season or first day, but they're playing in a rotation and they're going to eat all four guys are going to play somewhere between 45 to 55% of the downs, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, so it doesn't matter if they're starting. It matters that when they play, they're playing real good. Now, whether they want to have a rookie with a vet and a rookie with a vet, meaning you're going to have maybe Jones with uh, Dexter and Billings with Zach Pickens, you know, that very well could be true. Um, and that way, you know, you've got some experience and you've got young guys and you've always got one experienced guy inside playing. And then you get to Travis Bell. Travis, you know, they got him in the last round. Only guy from that school that's ever been uh, drafted. You can probably sneak him through waivers and get him on the practice squad unless he really jumps out. He's got some talent now and he's very, very athletic, but he's also raw. You know, he played at the D2 level or real low one double a level. And he's got a, you know, he's got a long way to go, but he has got talent. So, and he's explosive too. the yeah. 30 bench press reps and a 32 and a half inch. Yeah, vertical he, he ran like a five flat or something too. I mean, you know, yeah. for a big guy, he's not tall. Like I said, he's kind of, he reminds me of spice Adams. Hmm. Not unfortunately not Aaron Donald. Huh? <laughs> No, no. I'll tell you what. Spice Adams was a damn good football player. Now, uh-huh. damn good football player, and now he's a funny guy. Mm-hmm. But you know, I think the group is going to be much improved. They're going to uh, create a better interior pass rush than we've seen in the last few years, probably since Akeem Hicks was was at his prime. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that'll help the ends. Now, the ends, it's a little bit of a different. Before we get there, uh, uh, Greg, let me ask this question from Jeff. He asked, do you think Travis Bell will see the field much at all as a rookie? I'd be surprised if he's on the 53. And it's not that it, because it's it's the numbers game. They'll probably keep eight. And, I, you know, if somebody goes down, then he could be brought up. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, the chances of him getting, well, let me put it this way. I would not expect 
if he's looking good in practice, mm-hmm. don't expect him to play much in the games. Okay. Because you because you know nobody gets practice tape. Everybody gets game tape. Ah. Okay. So you know if you look, and then you know your your pro scouts are looking for that. Mm-hmm. So if this guy kind of jumps out in practice, and mm-hmm. and then you put him in a game, and he jumps out there, and you want to get him through to the practice squad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now that that's not a good mm-hmm. idea. Now, granted, <clears throat> excuse me, he was one of the last guys drafted. Right. So the chances of him getting claimed are small, <clears throat> minimal. Yeah. And I always say, you know, at, at that point of the season, when there are pickups, most teams love the guys that they have on the roster. And always they overevaluate and over <laughs> fall in love with them. Which is why you can sneak guys like that onto the practice squad, especially a guy from Kennesaw State. Uh, Adeptus has a really good question here. He says, Greg, people preach about gap integrity with 4-3 schemes, but it seems like Poles acquired half a dozen disruptors, penetrators. Is this a philosophy mismatch? Um, wait a minute. Let me read that again. People preach about gap integrity. Um no, because you're playing a gap. It's like don't don't leave your job. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, if your job is to attack through the one gap, don't go over to the two. Don't go over to the zero. You're attacking through the one. Mm-hmm. And see, there's it in that scheme. The way I learned it from Lovey, and Bob Babich was actually excellent in in trying to teach the scheme to, to the scouts. But there's a player for every gap, be it a defensive lineman or a linebacker. And so, and you, when you have a breakdown, even by one player, that's when you can give up a big play. So it's important that, like he said, the gap integrity, that you stick to your assignment and don't freelance. When you freelance, you're you're breaking your assignment and could be a 20-yard gain or a touchdown or whatever. So it's important just paying attention to detail. Excellent. All right. Let's uh, go outside now and talk about some of the outside pass rushers on this team. Okay. Now, I, I think this has changed a little bit too. And, and we started to see it near the end of the season because I, and again, they didn't defense the run very well. So, you know, there's no shocking statement being made here. And Flus mentioned, I got to have somebody bigger and stronger at the left end to play that contain. So what do they do? They bring in, um, uh, what the hell is his name? Uh, Demarcus Walker. And yeah, and Walker can actually play inside, and he's had his most success inside. Now, I don't know if you've seen the stuff on Twitter. I follow him on Twitter, and mm-hmm. he's putting his workouts out on Twitter. He's a pretty, <laughs> he's a really explosive guy. Yes, he and, is. And quick, and and uh, got very good body control, good initial quickness. Now, is he exactly what you want? As an end, no, but he's going to really help on first down at end. But he is a, his production, most of his production 
as a pass rusher the last couple of years, and last year was his best, I think he had seven and a half sacks, was really coming from inside or at the five technique. Mm-hmm. And so you can easily move him inside on third down, but the key is you've got to have two good pass rushers on the outside. And right now, I don't know if you can say they got one. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and that's the biggest problem going into camp. Now, going into camp last year, you thought Travis Gibson was going to be pretty good. He had, what, four or five sacks his first year. Then he had seven or seven and a half sacks his second year. Last year, he didn't show up. He just didn't exist. And I know they weren't happy. So he has got to really put up or shut up at training camp or really put up or he's gone in training camp. But he had uh, his uh, sack and a half in that week one game against the 49ers and then had zero sacks the rest of the year. Now, somebody in the chat room said that one of the analytics companies said that he was among the most, if not the most, double-team defensive linemen. And I recall reading that, too, and it might have been after Robert Quinn was traded. Everybody said, well, let's get the, the, the guy from the blindside rusher, Travis Gibson, and, and that nullified him. And so that probably impacted his play, new system, new scheme, not having a uh, teammates that can complement his game. Uh, well, Dominique Robinson – had some success early on too yes. in the first couple of weeks. And then he disappeared and, and there's probably some truth to it. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is there is nobody right now today playing the edge position on this team. That's going to scare an offensive coordinator. And wow. so that's why it's now does Gibson have the ability to get back to that seven and a half to eight and a half to nine sack. Yeah. If he can revert back to the form of his second year in the league, but he didn't have it. And like I said, when I was talking to polls, I mean, he he brought that up. They weren't happy with the way that he, he totally played. There was, you know, little parts of his game, (coughs) excuse me, that they weren't happy about. The other guy who's got a lot of upside and he's still raw as a defensive lineman is Dominique Robinson. Very, very athletic, long arms. He's strong. He just, I mean, this guy came into college as a quarterback and then he's a wide receiver and then he becomes a defensive end. He still learned how to play. Mm-hmm. So is there a chance that he could take a big step? Yeah, there's a chance, but what if they don't? And so, you know, I just think, and they've said it. Poles have said it a couple times and Flus has said it a couple times. We're trying to get an edge. Well, you know, the, um, so yesterday, I, I tweeted out today, what was it the 25th of that's report, which is in three weeks. And first practice is three weeks from today. So I would bet there's going to be an edge side within the next three weeks that he's going to be with them when they go into camp, you know, start practice three weeks from today. Mm-hmm. Well, that's going to be uh, interesting because there aren't a, a many uh, defensive pass rushers available, but uh, we mentioned Houston earlier in the show. And, uh, and, and Gakwe, that's about and, it. Yeah, and he recently got an agent maybe about a month ago, so maybe he's ready to he, really he sit got down. Drew, a, Drew Rosenhaus, who's, 
you know, Drew's going to look. He, he, the guy wants a multi-year contract or mm-hmm. at least a two-year deal. Yeah, I get it. That doesn't mean he's going to get one. Right. Especially at this time of the year. Right. And it's probably advantageous for him to wait as long as possible at this point to wait for like potentially a major injury to a defensive end on some team. Yeah, but then you could wait and you're shit out of luck. Yeah. That's uh, that's a risky You don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's damned if you do, damned if you don't. Mm -hmm. But there's a situation here. Now, if you go back and you look, except for one year in the league, and I forgot what year it was, but I remember looking this up a couple of weeks ago. He has played over 70% of the defensive downs for every team he's played for. Mm-hmm. One year he was around 58% or something like that. Uh, but the rest of the time, so people say he's only a pass rusher. Well, yeah, that's the best thing he does, and he's very consistent as a pass rusher. His one game is not a, a strong suit, but he's not – the worst guy on the field either. I mean, you know, he can play the run. It's just that he doesn't play the run anywhere near as well as he rushes the passer. He's not, they're not going to keep him on the field 70% of the downs, 70% or more if he's a liability against the run. Yeah. Jason asked the question earlier before we got on to the topic, do you think Eberflus and Poles are waiting to see what happens when the pads go on to see how pass rushers, uh, play before they add another uh could could that be the proof in the pudding to kind of tell them yeah this is urgent we we need to sign somebody or could they potentially be looking at this team and say we want to be pass rush heavy in the interior and flush quarterbacks out and we've got some speedy quick moving defensive ends that can uh who are who are good at uh protecting uh, setting the edge. And so what do, you, what do you think about what Jason's asking in my point? Well, yeah. Is it within the realm of possibility? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but reality is you've got to get outside production. Mm-hmm. And right now, off of last year, you've got, you know, Demarcus Walker, who had seven and a half sacks, but most of those were inside. So you really don't have a guy except for Travis, who had seven and a half the year before, not last year, who's had any production outside. And I'm not, you know, to me, it's just a big question mark. There's some talented guys there. There's no question, but there's nobody who has proved it at the NFL level. Now, don't forget when Travis said that seven and a half too, he got a lot of those after Khalil got hurt, and it was him and Quinn playing. Yes, that's right. And, and people were concentrating on, on Quinn, and so he, he wasn't necessarily coming free, but he never got doubled. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I, I think if you get somebody to play opposite from him, and again, they're, they're going to rotate. So it's not like these four guys are going to be or, or two guys are going to be in there all the time. There's going to be four and, mm-hmm. and they're going to play each play about 50%. Maybe one group's going to be 60 and the other 40, but they've got to get somebody or, you know, it, it's just going to be difficult for them to totally stop anybody, even though the, the on paper, the, the team's a lot better, mm-hmm. but you've got to have a pass rush. And 
I think that's the big question mark going into camp. I really think, and, and I honestly believe that, and if you watch the way that Poles was drafted his first two years, the way he's doubled up in positions, two out of their first three picks next year are going to be edge. Interesting. Uh, Steven asked a question. Do you think trading for the Jets' Bryce Huff might make sense? I don't know if you'd want to. I mean, you're only going to trade for somebody. First of all, they got to be available. Okay, so who said he's available? Number two, they got to be better than the guys you, you already have. And number three, you're giving up an asset to get mm-hmm. the guy. Mm-hmm. And so I would say they're better off signing an Ngakwe or Houston right now mm-hmm. than trading for somebody. Now, you know, people keep having that pipe dream that, that you know, Minnesota might trade their guy. I just can't see Minnesota trading him within the division. Mm-hmm. Now, could it happen? Yeah, it could happen. But is he that stupid? <laughs> I mean, you know, Detroit traded their tight end to Minnesota, which I thought was a ridiculous trade. Yeah, and part, why do you want to help the team? Now, Minnesota looks like they're they're trying to tank this year, the way they're giving players away. So maybe they do. Maybe they don't give a shit. Uh, but, you know, it's probably going to cost you – He's 28, 29 years old. They're going to want at least a two. And you want to give up a two. With two first-round draft picks, I would say, yeah, I, I, would, I would look at that. And you get a, a, a contract that allows you an out after two or three seasons without there being a massive cap hit. Well, that's uh, easier said than done, too. Because, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The player wants security. Exactly. And I don't know how much time he's got left on his current contract. I haven't I think, even looked at that. I think just a year, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so now if it's a year, you have to look at it as if it's a rental. Because mm-hmm. you've got no guarantee you're getting them next year. Yeah. Swifty reminds us that the Vikings have made trades with the Lions and Packers, so they're due to make a trade with us now. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I mean, I, stupider things have happened, but <laughs> you want to the weakest point on paper mm-hmm. of this Bears team is at edge. Mm-hmm. So, do you want to give them one of the better edges in the division to make them a lot better football team? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, and, unless you're tanking. Mm-hmm. And, and you want to be in position to get a quarterback to replace Cousins next year, you don't do that trade. But, you know, I've seen the, you know, put it this way. If they did do the trade, you know the tank's in. Mark yeah. down two W's for the Bears during the season on that one. Exactly. They'll be following the model of the Chicago Bears, no doubt about it. Um, I think I've got a question that was related to the topic at hand, and I'm looking for it here. Oh, Sophisticated wanted to know that he thinks a player everyone is sleeping on is Rashawn Green. He's only 26 years old, and he's very, very 
powerful. So what do you think about the uh, six-year veteran, 26 years old, six foot four, out of USC? He signed a one-year, $2.5 million contract with the Bears. Uh, and with the Texans last year, he played uh, in 16 games, five of the more starts. He had uh, three and a half sacks, two passes defended, eighth, eight quarterback hits, and five tackles for a loss. What do you think? I, I like the player. He's not and never will be a dominant pass rusher. Mm-hmm. He plays the run very, very well. He's a good guy to have in your rotation. But, and he's also a guy that can play inside on third down if you want to rush him inside. Right. Because he's pretty athletic. But he's still not, he doesn't give you the answer to have the speed rusher outside. Don't forget, we had that like two years ago, Khalil Mack and Quinn. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, you're not going to get that again, at least unless you draft somebody next year and, and they develop. But you got to get more than you have right now because right now, and I know I'm repeating myself, there's nobody out there that scares anybody. Mm. Yep. Okay. Um, let's see if I've got another question here. Barely small wanted to uh, chime in. Uh, Barely small from across the pond. Gibson sounds like he's bulked up too much. Looked like he uh, bulked up too much last year and lost a half a step that he couldn't afford to lose. Did you? I mean, I I, 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 did don't say- I agree with that because that that number one I know uh, the strength coach Jimmy uh-huh. Arnold really well, and I know the program that he preaches mm-hmm. and bulk isn't one of them mm-hmm. strength is, but it's, it's, it's lean body. You want the guys less fat. And so if anything, you want them, you know, now he might've been carrying about the same as last year. If, if he wasn't within the prescribed area for what his, his body fat should be, mm-hmm. He'd get fined like every week when he steps on the on the scale. Right. So, and it's not just weight; it's weight and percentage of body fat. Body fat. Yeah. So you mm-hmm. could be, it, it, you know, I'll, I'll just throw a number out, and it, it doesn't mean anything. Let's say they want the defensive ends at seventeen percent body fat, mm-hmm. and so then you'd give Travis Gibson a weight of. We want you at 260 and 17%. Mm -hmm. Well, if he's 268 and 17%, he's fine because he's 17%. So the more important number is the percentage of body fat. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, and uh, Nomad is saying, I thought they might kick Gibson in inside at times. He looks built to it. And and that is one of the things that Ryan Post said uh, during this offseason is that they're looking for versatility. They're looking for guys that can play the three tech and the one tech. And they're looking for even outside pass rushers so they can move in uh, to the middle of the line at times. They want eight pass they want eight defensive linemen who possess versatility. And this roster right now, I mean, we've got a lot of guys who are you know, young or journeymen, but it, it does sort of fit that bill, doesn't it? Well, you, you've got, when you look at um, DeMarcus Walker and you look at Green, you've got mm-hmm. two guys that can play inside on third down and generate mm-hmm. a pass rush. Uh, 
I mean, Green, Green's a good football player. He's just not going to scare you as a pass rusher. But he's going to give you an honest day's work. Mm-hmm. Um, some people, and I'm getting away from the question, some people think the rookie Sewell from Oregon can be an edge. I don't see it. Yeah, He's 6'1", he's got short arms, and he's never played defensive end right. or been a pass rusher. He's a linebacker. Right. You know, he's had some sacks, but he's had some sacks coming as as blitzer, not necessarily a, an edge guy. But he's only got like 31 and a half inch arms. And that is totally against what they're looking for as far as length mm-hmm. at that position. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, Swifty says he's not an edge, but he can blitz. And there's no doubt about that. I think Sewell, if he makes this team, is he's going to be a standout special teams player. But a lot of it, based on stuff that I've read, has to do with his attitude. How hungry is he? Does he really want this? Uh, part of his uh, uh, lack of or, or down were uh, uh, production in 2022 in college might have had something to do with the fact that he seemed to lose interest, according to some of the scouts from some publications that I read. But we'll see. Yeah, well, no, 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 no. <laughs> I don't always buy into that because none of these guys are making school calls that that make these things. And so mm-hmm. they they come up with some hypothetical. But a lot of times there's no backing to it. And I'm not saying it's not, there can't be truth to it. Mm-hmm. But unless you make a school call, and I'm the first one to say that, you know, I think I'm a pretty good evaluator, but I'm not making a school call. Yeah. You know, right. so there's things I don't know. Right. And, you know, part of it is, you know, is he is the guy hurt for half the damn season? Mm-hmm. And you just don't realize it. And they don't have to tell you. Well, the, the biggest example of that, uh, Greg, uh, and you had, uh, talked about this earlier, so I'm re- really repeating your words, uh, Gervon, Di- Gervon Dix- Dexter, he uh, was told to play kind of that hesitation at the uh, read uh, plays at the line of scrimmage, and a lot of people interpreted that, that he was slow getting off the line of scrimmage. Well, he still was slow getting off the ball. There's no question about that, but he was also being asked to two-gap. In mm-hmm. other words, it was a, a read and contain type defense, and mm-hmm. he wasn't. It, it's really the exact opposite of what he's being asked to do here. Yeah, Post said that he was in college. He was asked to read and mirror, uh, and a lot of people. These are Post's words. A lot of people uh, failed to put all the links together because they didn't have that information about Dexter that he was asked to read and mirror in college. So. I, I think one of the reasons that he was a, a, a second-round pick for this Bears team is because Poles and his scouting team see the athleticism, see what he can do, and were aware of what he was being asked to do in college. And so he could be one of the steals of this draft. Well, th- there's no question he's a talented guy. And you see that, you know, especially when you watch his workout, and there's flashes of it on tape from last year where you see the athleticism he has. Mm-hmm. I think against Kentucky, he has a, a, you know, an interception that was really a hell of a play. And there's some other things where he gets rid of the block real quickly and makes the, the stop at the line of scrimmage or, or for a loss, that type of thing. But, and this goes back to what I was saying just a couple of minutes ago about making a school call. I was a little down on him when I first, if you recall, 
when right. you first watch tape because you see him slow off the ball. But I always preface it saying, I'm not making a school call, talking to the defensive coordinator and asking the defensive coordinator what the hell are you asking them to do. Sure thing. Yeah. You know, and, and so that makes a difference. And so mm-hmm. you could be the best evaluator. Can't even talk. You could be the best evaluator in the world, but if you don't know what they're being asked to do, you're losing something in that evaluation. Mm. Somebody claiming to be David Montgomery writes, I'm going to have a field day playing that weak front. Glad I'm gone. I believe that's Don Burr pretending to be David Montgomery. <laughs> are you are you sad David Montgomery is no longer a member of the Chicago Bears? Yeah, I you've heard me. I I I really like Monty. I think he's a uh, very good player. Uh, He's not great at any one thing. He's good at a lot of things. But his presence in the locker room is really noted. You know, he's a strong leader. He's highly respected. At the same time, I think the talent level of the running back room is better this year than it was last year. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, a couple of people have asked about Jalen Lewis from Alabama. Uh, let me bring up his graphic here. I think I have one. It's like uh, six five, two sixty. Went to Illinois, and I think he's on his third team. It's Terrell Lewis, right? Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. on. He's on his second or third team, and he really, you know, he hasn't. I'm not going to say because he he wasn't a high draft choice. So I'm not going to say he hasn't played up to his ability. He's got talent, but if he jumps out at camp, that's a good thing. Just don't expect it. Yeah, I I totally agree with that assessment. I mean, there's a reason these guys are on the street. Three, he's played in 30 games over three seasons, and he's got six sacks. Um, you know, it's he's a serviceable backup. I, I don't think we sh- we should go out and bet any money on Terrell Lewis. Yeah, he's not, he's not the guy who's going to come in and have 10 sacks. Right. You know, I mean, if it does, he's taking a big jump that he probably didn't even know he could. Right. But, you know, it, it's other teams have said goodbye. You know, when I do my one job where I've got to go into court and go through depositions and stuff, you know, that's one of the things I do when we're talking about these players. Mm-hmm. You know, because the NFLPA attorney, he, you know, he's screaming and hollering, well, this guy could have been an all pro. Or this is because they're saying he missed out on $40 million worth of contracts and stuff. And then I just come back because I just stick to the facts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he got way five times, and all five times, 32 teams passed on him. What's that tell you? You know, so don't tell me he missed out on $40 million. He's been <laughs> waived five times. Exactly. You know, Good point. <laughs> don't, don't come up with some bullshit hypothetical. Um, all right. Uh, here's an interesting question from CJ. He says, all the moves the Bears are uh, have made are people with versatility. However, would they be better with more concentrated roles? And I love this question, uh, Greg, because I've been saying for years, you know, I understand that there is greater value in having versatile players, but because of what the CBA has done and reducing the amount of practice time and reducing the amount of hitting and so forth, it's much harder to get these guys ready for these versatile roles. Wouldn't it be better to just say, Hey, you play this position and that's it, man. 
Well, now I get it because you only you have limited roster spots. And so at, at certain places and mostly the offensive line and defensive line, you, you know, you're only going to dress so many people on Sunday. And so the people, your backups that are dressing on Sunday have to be able to be versatile and play more than one position. Mm-hmm. Okay? okay. And so you can't, you got to be very careful with who you dress on Sunday. If, if you could dress all 53, it'd be a different story, mm-hmm. but you're not, you know, so yeah. that's why the versatility comes in, in the play. And I agree that we'll go back to what we were talking about all day. There needs to be a guy that can scare you a little bit right. coming off the edge. Right. You got, you got to uh, have a guy that the offensive coordinator is game planning against. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, put it this way. It, 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 let's just say it in Gakwe. You know, let's he makes Gibson better. He right. makes Robinson better. Right. Because they're going to gear to stop him and mm-hmm. his 10th actually year. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of people in the chat are saying that Zach Pickens could be the long-term answer at the three tech. What do you think about that the second round pick? He wasn't a second-round pick. He was a third-round pick. Um, well, technically, he was a second-round pick if you look at the number. Because okay. there were, the remember, there's only 30. I mean, he got paid like he's a third-round pick, but he was the the number <laughs> where he came off the board was really the last pick in the second round in any other year. Yeah, very but, true. Uh, no, I agree with that. Uh you know, this is going to be, he'll be splitting time. I think he'll split time this year, probably get a little more time next year. Um, Jones will probably be the starter to start the year, but it doesn't matter. They're playing, like I said, they're, they're playing in a rotation. Mm-hmm. And Flus wants to play seven or eight guys along the line all the time. Mm-hmm. So um, <clears throat> overall, with the roster is, I mean, we've looked at, at probably 90% and talked about 90% of the defensive linemen uh, on the roster currently. What are your expectations for this defensive line? Are you hopeful? Are you in this wait-and-see mode? Uh, you know, any any thoughts, uh, your gut feeling that you can share with us? Uh, my gut is, do I think it's a lot better than it was a year ago? Yes. Okay. Is it where you want it to be? No. I think inside it is, yeah, you got some young guys and the young guys got to learn and they're going to go through growing pains, which means they're going to look bad some plays and real good other plays. Right. And the bad plays are going to be less and less as, the, as they gain experience. On the outside, not there yet. And I, mm-hmm. I, I know I'm like a broken record. I keep repeating myself. But... <laughs> It, it's, I just think it's real important. And they've said it. It's not like they haven't said it publicly. Yeah, we need an edge. Yeah. And, you, and you need guys on the outside who can win one-on-one battles. I mean, that's that that's the key because it, it appears like those interior defensive linemen for the Chicago Bears are going to require a lot of attention because of their size and speed. And uh, and so if you can, if you can get 
edge rushers who can occasionally win a one-on-one battle. That would be great. It was rare to see that last season. Guy, those outside guys who were not winning their their one-on-one battles, and and that was something Eberflus talked about almost every week. <laughs> well, there's one thing, and and to go back, you know, to, to Swifty's guy with uh, Justice Houston. Mm-hmm. He is equally good as a pass rusher and a run defender. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, he's 34 years old, but I watched, I think, four or five games from last year, and he can still come off the edge pretty damn well. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it, if you're limiting his role to 50, 55% of the snaps, and especially in those, and, and use them a lot in those third and longs and stuff. You know he's gonna he's gonna get you nine and a half or ten because he does it every year of his career just about you know and yeah. and and, and Gakwe does the same thing, so you know I I think it's one player away from being not a dominant line but being an adequate to a good line because I I like the makeup of the rest it just and you know polls have said. We still got weaknesses on this roster. We're not we're not done yet, but it's not going to be this year. It's going to be next year. You know, I think I, I honestly believe, and I know I'm repeating myself. Next year's draft class got some pretty good edge guys because I've already done about ten of them, <laughs> and, and they uh, there's some guys that are really interesting guys, mm-hmm. and I think before the second, you know, they got two first round picks and 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 their own second. I wouldn't even be surprised if both first are edge. Wow. I I don't recall ever being as excited for a college football season as I am for this 2023 season, uh, partly because of the uh, two first-round draft picks the Chicago Bears have. Uh, but also, uh, frankly, uh, Greg, you know, just talking to you about football and scouting and so forth, I've learned so much that I'm going to be watching college football games now with a, a different lens, and so it's going to be fun for for me. And I, I'm sure a lot of our fans uh, watching this show who watch this show uh, will agree with that. Got a few questions here before we pull the plug <laughs> on this one. Um, let's see, Jeff Willis, you know, my Good buddy, uh, Dan Aguirre is really down on Allian Williams, the defensive coordinator. And Jeff is asking a question that I think a lot of Bears fans are wondering if, well, it's not this one. I'm sorry. It's uh, it's Jay Sanders. If the defense is bad this year, is uh, Williams going to get fired? He thinks so. I, I, I don't have the answer to that. I think last year he had some bad players. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so can you put it all on the coordinator? No, you know, uh, what's the old saying? Can you make chicken salad on chicken shit? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a lot of chicken shit there last year. <laughs> I mean, let's, let's, let's be honest. I mean, the defensive line was horrendous. Yeah. I know that Berlissimo has in the past uh, tweeted out and, and in the chat room uh, talked about what he thought was bad coaching, bad scheme uh with the bears defensive coach so if you're if you're there Belisma, if you're still there if you want to add a comment to this uh i'll bring that back in let me go to this question uh that i had up briefly jeff says what kind of an impact do you see these r- rookie defensive linemen linemen making in year one i think they're gonna make a big impact mm-hmm. um i mean look at the impact tommy harris made as a rookie and tank both mm-hmm. both rookies First and second mm-hmm. round picks, um, their first year playing in pretty much the same scheme. Mm-hmm. 
if they're well coached and they play hard, they're going to make plays. Yeah. Real simple. Mm-hmm. Not, okay. a, not a difficult game. You know, don't, don't <laughs> make it into a difficult game, especially on the defensive line. You know, just do your yeah. job, attack, and beat the shit out of the guy in front of you. <laughs> That's it. Pretty simple. Uh, Berlismo says, honestly, uh, honestly, I don't know how anyone could watch the eye discipline in zone defense, and it was fucking horrendous. Um, so I, I think how I many know- of those guys like at, at linebacker? Uh huh. Yeah. How many of those guys are there? <laughs> None. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the rookie from from last year. Uh, but the main guys are all gone and yeah. you brought in two guys that are pro bowl level linebackers and you're going to be playing with two linebackers 80% of the time. Yeah. And so that's Edmonds and Edwards. And mm-hmm. so you've already changed that part of the defense and upgraded that part of the defense tremendously. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's funny, Greg, uh, I saw the uh, one hour show on Mike Ditka on NFL Network called The Football Life. And one of the things that has changed uh, in the game of football is that when a player did something wrong, Mike Ditka and some other coaches would let you know and let, of course, everyone in the stadium and watching on TV know that player screwed up. Nowadays, the, the coach doesn't say anything. Hardly any coach will say anything. So we don't know. And, and so a lot of times these players screw up and it, it's not even addressed in post-game comments because the coaches are, I guess, more respectful of players and don't want to publicly uh, uh, chastise them. I remember a game. I was with the Giants, but I'm watching the Bears on TV. And I think they were playing the Colts but I, I don't know for sure. Mm-hmm. But Harbaugh was the Bears quarterback. Mm-hmm. And he fucked up doing something. It was against the Vikings. He called an audible when Ditka said, don't call audibles, it's too loud here for and, players to hear. Anyway, I mean, Ditka just ripped him and ripped him and ripped him like for five minutes along the sidelines. Yes. And that one, I'll, I'll always remember that one. That one, you know, that one really jumped out. Yeah. And I think I forgot which player said, uh, you know what? It was the right call. The audible would have been perfect, except Neil Anderson who was a running back who went out in the wide receiver position, didn't hear the audible call. And so there was a clean interception and Dicka didn't care that Anderson didn't hear it. He said no audibles in this game in Minnesota. It's too loud in that, Terrible stadium they used to play in. <laughs> uh, some more detail here from Berlissimo. He says, Williams, way too much free release on line of scrimmage, which doesn't help the pass rush. Not enough disguise coverage or robbers. Zone play dash responsibilities from linebackers was abysmal, save Sanborn. So there's uh, Berlissimo's detailed explanation of why he was not an Allen Williams fans fan this uh, last season, at least. Well, you got to, number one, and I'm not going to argue with them, but you got to understand how the scheme works too. Mm-hmm. And, and what, what they're giving up, what they're not giving up, what each player is being asked to do. And then also you got to have the right players. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have the right players, the, the, they can play hard, but they're going to make mistakes and they're going to give up plays. And last year, like I said, the, basically, except for Sanborn, the whole linebacker core is different. And then 
you had a hodgepodge in the defensive secondary for a good part of the year because there was guys going down every week. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like the offensive line. You had a different starting group just about every week. Mm-hmm. And so to line up and play exactly the way you want when you're going through that, and I'm not making an excuse, it's not the easiest thing in the world. I mean, there's a reason some of these guys are on the Chicago Bears and not playing for a really good team because, you know. That's right. Just, and, and some of them, you know, God love them. They were, some of these guys playing in the secondary were rookies and mm-hmm. actually showed that they have talent, but they were still rookies. Yeah. And they played a lot. And, and they weren't like second-round draft choice rookies. You know, I'm, I'm talking about, the, you know, the guys were the free agents, not Kyler Gordon and and – Jaquan Brisker, but they're going to make mistakes mm-hmm. and they're going to make mental mistakes. And so, you know, now that they've got a year under their belt, um, I, I think, you know, the, the jury's out. If Flus, I mean, Flus is a defensive coach. Mm-hmm. He didn't like the way Williams was teaching his defense because that's Flus's defense. Yeah. And handling that defense, he wouldn't be here. That's right. Yeah, you know, right. and I, I really believe that. He would have replaced him, put somebody else there. I agree. I agree. All right, let's handle a couple more questions here. Uh, a couple of questions have come in from James Ford and Jeff Willis about Marvin Harrison. What do you think about him as a wide receiver? And if the Bears get a t- top five pick in, uh, you know, I know you talked about the – drafting a pass rusher, but could you see a Marvin Harrison Jr. becoming a Chicago Bear, and would that benefit the Chicago Bears perhaps more than an elite pass rusher? Well, in my opinion, nothing helps you more than an elite pass rusher. Okay. Okay, that's one of the most key players you can have on your team. Mm -hmm. Number two is that where there's a lot of people who want the wide receiver – Everybody wanted one this year, and when they take one in the fifth round, okay, because they think they went out and traded for one. They traded for one last year, traded for one this year, and we got to see how that group plays out this year. Right. And if they play out good and that receiving core has a strong year, they're not mm-hmm. drafting a receiver in the first round. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. That's it. Remember what we were talking about in the beginning and that article about Flus <clears throat> about team building? You got a team build the right way. Mm-hmm. And what position haven't they drafted mm-hmm. in a high position? Yeah. Well, and I, I could see they're they considering Harrison if both Claypool and Mooney just underperform. And you're not going to sign them to a, a longer contract and hope that they can turn things around. Why not bring no, in? No, they they, they, they've got to produce this they've year. They've got to, exactly. As, as DJ Moore does. Right. And then you've got to get something from, from the backups, too, because you know they're going to be playing at times during the year. I, I, I see a bunch of people on social media getting all giddy because um, Mooney is bulked mm. up. You know, it looks like he might be up to a whole 185 now or something. And that's going to help his game because he is stronger. But that doesn't mean he's going to be a, a, a Pro Bowl player. Now, I'll tell you, if, if he reverts back to the year he had before he got hurt, you know, 2021 year, that was a hell of a receiver now. Oh, yeah. 
Indeed. I, well, I'm glad that he's bulked up because they're still going to ask him to block, and he's going to they're going to ask him to block linebackers. And so he was so under. I think he got the message. <laughs> well said. Well said. Okay, I got uh, one last one here, uh, and this was from way back when we were talking about scouting and the early part of your career. Jeff wanted to know how was it that you got in with the buffalo bills initially tell us that story you know uh who hired you in buffalo how'd you get the job all that stuff well this will take us 10 minutes maybe 12 (laughs) go for it um i was playing minor league football but it actually in buffalo Mm -hmm. the head coach may he rest in peace was a guy by the name of gene zinni and at that time, Buffalo was in a combine called Quadra, which was Buffalo, San Francisco, Seattle, and Dallas. Okay. Pretty much run by Gil Brandt and Dick Mansberger. Gil was at Dallas and, and Mansberger was at Seattle. And one of the things they wanted was, you know, back then you saw the projector I used to have to carry around. Well, the, you know, you didn't have the access to digitized video like you do now. Mm -hmm. The only way is if the school sent you film, you know, you could, you could make copies of the film or, or you just had to wait till you get it and then you'd watch it and send it back or whatever. But you couldn't get, unless you got, (coughs) excuse me, a lot of school calls from your scouting staff, you just weren't getting enough information. So what they did, and this was really Mansberger's idea, was let's hire some coaches and and young guys to supplement what our road scouts are doing. And all they're going to do is watch the tape and write a report. But, for me, and, and that's what I ended up doing because this Gene Zinni, who was my coach, was one of the coaches the the Bills had at that time. Terry Ransbury, Gene, Pete Rayo, and one other guy, um, Joe Shiflett. Amazing, I remember these names from 40 years, four, nice. almost 40 years ago because uh, I think all of them are dead. Um, <laughs> those are doing it, and and – you know, I said, Gene, I can do that. And he said, well, I'll, I'll get in touch with Norm Pollum, who is the player personnel director. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, I'll talk to Norm. So he did. And Norm said, well, have him come into the office and, and I'll have him grade some film and see if he's got the ability to do it. So I went in, I spent an afternoon there, did two players. I remember one, one was Don Mosbar, who was an offensive tackle, went in the first round that year uh, from USC. I don't remember who the other player was. And, you know, I watched the tape and then I wrote up the players. And he said, yeah, this isn't bad. So we'll do it. We'll, we'll put you to work. So that year ended up being a strike year I think it was 81 and so 
there really, you know, there wasn't NFL games going on because of the strike. But so, but there was a lot of tape available. I ended up going in there like every day and, and just watching tape or they, you know, I, I bring tape home or film home. Cause it was, you know, you had to use the projector right. and, and watch the film. I did a ton of freaking guys, but the reports that you had to write, and this was Mansberger and Gil Brandt. It wasn't just, you know, strong points, weak points, summation, whatever. It was four freaking pages long. Ooh. And you had to grade every single play on a number basis. Mm-hmm. So one was for, you know, you had to grade his competitiveness on every play on a one through nine basis. His quickness on a one through nine, his agility, his balance, his strength, his explosion. And then <clears throat> if it was a run block, grade the block, pass block, grade the block, all these different things. Mm-hmm. And then you had to write up each specific. So there was one page was just a page full of numbers, mm-hmm. you know, that, that showing that you had, had watched every play that the guy was in the game. And then you had to write, um, the specifics and the strong points. So it was a really long report, much longer than any um, college scout writes on on his players. But it taught me a hell of a lot. It taught me how to really watch tape, number one, and number two, learn how to write a report. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Jimmo makes two jokes, so pro football focus is your fault because that's essentially what you were doing back then. <laughs> yeah, but nobody knew what analytics were then. They hadn't even made up the word yet. You know, so uh, then, you know, so I did that. I did that 81, 82, 83. Hmm. And in 82, they started sending me out a little bit. Not a lot, but, you know, and, and my going out was like leaving Thursday night, going to a school, and it, it was someplace I could drive to. They weren't going to pay for me to fly. You know, <laughs> so I might go to Syracuse or Cornell or down to Pittsburgh, you know, to Pitt or something like that, watch film on Friday, go to the game Saturday, and come home. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then, at, right, I did that up until the, 84 draft mm-hmm. for them. And then, and I went out more during that, that fall of 83. And then right after the 84 draft, I got a job with National Scouting. What's that noise? That was my phone going off. I oh, apologize. That's all right. So I, right after that, I got, I got a job with National Scouting and it was Norm Pollum, the Bears personnel director who got me the job and he became my mentor and a really good friend. He passed away about two years ago. Now, how about this? Just because I really love Norman, but he, a a football guy, his whole life coach, Mm -hmm. and then an evaluator, he dies drinking a scotch watching the national championship game. Oh my goodness. Seriously. Cause I, you know, his wife, Bonnie told me that she goes, you won't believe how he died. Jeez. So he tells she goes, he's having a, having a, Last of Scotch, he's watching the national championship game and he just died. God, that is so sad. <laughs> no, I, I mean, it, it's I, 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 perfect way to go. Yeah, that's true. I wouldn't mind going that way. <laughs> the only thing he didn't have because she wouldn't let him have anymore is he used to have these like foot long Cuban cigars. Uh huh. 
Jeff says, great story. And if you're looking to be a mentor to someone else, let him know he is interested in getting into the scouting racket. Uh, Jeff, do you have a uh, Twitter handle? Maybe uh, you and Greg can DM each other on Twitter. If you do, post it here. Uh, Nomad has a question. Greg, how long into training camp before the pads go on? Week two? Yeah, it's usually week no, two. No, it's, uh, there's two days of, like, you know, OTA mini camp type practices, and then pads go on. Mm -hmm. All right. I, so they, they start three weeks today is the first week of practice. Uh, so Friday or Saturday would be the first day in pads. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Now, they, you know, they got to have their scheduled day off. That's part of the, uh, you know, the collective bargaining agreement, too, is you got to have a day off every week. You know, whether they go six straight days without a day off, they might go like two days of practice a day off and then put the pads on. Yeah. You know, you got to look up on the Bears website. They might have the practice schedule up already for, you know, what days they are practicing. But I, I think by league decree, there has to be two ramp up type practices with which have, you know, have a helmet on and shells, but no real pads. Gotcha. Uh, Swift reminds us that training camp is a week short because we will be in Indianapolis for a week. There will be two, uh, or yeah, I think there will be two or well, three. Well, not really a week short. They're just having a, a week of practice in Indy instead of here. They'll have, right. Uh, are you a fan of that? Having yes. signatures? Uh, okay. Um, yeah, and because you, well, number one, you're getting more work done. Mm -hmm. You're getting double the work done during the same amount of period. Okay. And, but... Number two, you're going against different faces. Now, when we first started doing these uh, joint practices, and this goes way back to when I was with the Giants and Parcells was, was a coach, a lot of the vet players would kind of like brother-in-law each other. And, you know, and they'd say like, okay, you take care of me, I'll take care of you. And they were sort of going at it half-ass. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, that stopped, you know, so – I just no, there you go. I thought I lost you for a second, but anyway, it. Um, I think in the last ten years or so, the joint practices have been excellent, yeah. and not only that. I mean, you know, there was what the hell was the name that corner? They had joint practices with New England, and what was his name, Cravon Williams or something like that, as a corner. That's right. He was looking real good. So when he got waived, they snapped him off of waivers. And yeah. that can happen. And, and it works both ways. You know, the Colts will be looking for players and the, and the Bears will be looking for players. And, you know, they could snap up a guy from that roster. Because don't forget now, Bears, in, until the third game of the season, they got first claim mm -hmm. on anybody that's waived. Uh, was it Cravon Williams? I, I want to say that he had like a Cravon something. I don't know. Cravon Lafleur or something. Lafleur, like that. that's it. Yeah, yeah. He had that French sounding name. All right, we got to get LeBlanc. There it is, LeBlanc. Cravon LeBlanc. Thank you, Adeptus. Uh, we got the smartest fans watching this show. They're all. No, great I just said I'm an old fuck. I can't remember. <laughs> Uh, now we got a nice compliment here from D. Staring. You guys are the best. Maybe he's talking about you, Greg, because my wife keeps telling me you suck. 
Uh, all right, that is it. I want to tell everybody that the Barlong Hockey Talk is going to come on in about seven minutes live right here on the Barroom Network. But they just Are you, don't do talk you about do that too? No, 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 no. Did you watch any of the hockey draft? I did. I did. Oh, oh my gosh. Hockey, you know, those guys fascinate me. Not yes. the, play, the scouts. That is one rough job. First of all, you don't scout the United States. You got to scout the damn world. And, <laughs> That's right. The whole world. And, you know, well, it, you're doing most of Northern Europe, Russia, yes. Canada, right. United yeah. States, and, and you're drafting 17 and 18-year-olds and trying to project them four years out. That is a rough freaking job. Yep, it is. It is unbelievable the work that they do. And a lot of these guys are guys you won't hear about or for years or maybe ever right. again. Right. But it is a great, great uh, draft. It's my favorite draft after the NFL draft. The NBA draft to me has become a little ho-hum. I, I guess that's because the Bulls haven't had much success with their drafts. Well, you don't know who the hell's drafted them. Yeah, exactly. Most exactly. of the guys get traded like an hour later. You know, oh, it's yeah, crazy. I don't like that. But uh, in any case, uh, Bardon Hockey Talk is coming right up. Stick around for them. They will not only talk hockey, but they will talk movies and all sorts of stuff. If you stick around with them, you're going to have a good time. Uh, so with that, Greg, uh, we'll see you next week. We'll pick a day and let everybody know uh, when we'll be back next week. And any parting words for your fans? No, it's uh, keep enjoying the summer. It's nice yeah. out right now. Indeed. Take care, brother. Okay. See you later. Bye bye.